I'm Marianne Kolbesak McGee, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking with Tracy Hughes, Associate Chief Operating Officer and Senior Director of Clinical Engineering at Duke University Health System, and also Claude Hewitt, Vice President of Security Strategy at consulting firm Synergistic. Tracy and Clyde are featured speakers at the HIMSS 19 conference in Orlando, where they'll be jointly presenting on the security risks involving biomedical devices. Now, Tracy, as we know, hospitals often have thousands of medical devices in their environments, including many legacy devices. What steps are you taking in your organization to identify the variety of security risks posed by these devices? And do these risks vary greatly between the different types of medical devices as well as their age? Yes. So at Duke Health System, uh, one of the first things that we did is recognize that we may not have an accurate inventory of all of our connected medical devices. And I'm going to stress the word connected here. In the past, clinical engineering departments and health technology management programs are really good about asset management and keeping inventories of medical equipment with regard to serial number, model, all of the information that you would kind of normally take from that device. What that didn't include was looking at it from an aspect of operating system, software revision level, understanding what patches can be applied to it if it's on a network, understanding if it has EPHI. So first and foremost at Duke, that was part of our job number one, was to go back through and identify the pieces of equipment that connect to our network or have the potential to connect to our network. So while they may not be connected today, that they are a standalone system, but at some point may be brought on the network. So when you talked a little bit about that risk assessment, that's where you start. We went through and actually we used an outside company to help us come on site and do a physical inventory. I also know there are approaches that you can do for discovery that also work very well. So different entities are taking a lot of different approaches. And and that's something that we're doing now on a go-forward basis. So that becomes part of your routine as items come into the system. And then you can move into the, the risk mitigation and kind of your strategy around it. So for us, we are looking at where is the device, what type of device is it, how is it used, what is the risk if that device were impacted either by a security threat or by a breach of EPHI. And so you have to take a look at it. Is it going to impact the organization financially um, or legally, you know, from a breach of EPHI, let's say, or could it make that piece of equipment unavailable because it's been, you know, hacked much like in the WannaCry and it takes it out of service and it isn't available anymore? Or even worst case scenario, if something was done to modify that the way the device operates and could it cause harm to a patient. So we kind of take a look at that once you have that and that becomes our focus is on those items that are used in areas that have those controls that are in place. So now, Clyde, when you work with clients, when it comes to assessing and addressing the security risks posed by medical devices, what are the key mistakes that you commonly see? What are the things that they generally miss? Marianne, I think probably the very first thing they miss is addressing biomedical risk as an enterprise problem. I mean, 
many organizations uh, have actually outsourced their biomedical device management to third parties, and they end up treating these devices as physical assets to be tracked through the financial system, but they don't necessarily treat them as information technology assets that need to be, first of all, looked at for, as a threat to the network, as a threat to the environment, and they, they miss the big risk that we look, you know, that we typically look for. The first risk, of course, being patient safety. In other words, can the device be compromised in a way that could adversely impact a patient? And there are several ways of patient safety that can take place. First of all, it may not be an overt or deliberate act. Sometimes IT departments want to scan their networks to find out what's out there. And, you know, for a laptop computer or a server or a printer, if you scan these devices, if the scan itself creates an adverse impact, it's not generally going to impact patient safety. Whereas if you're scanning a heart monitor or an ID pump, a lot of times we are just not confident that these scans cannot adversely impact the medical device, which could directly impact patient safety. The second thing is the unauthorized access or the second major risk, and that may include things like being able to hack into the device to, number one, capture the data, but it could also mean physical access. A lot of the biomedical equipment does not have username and passwords like you would find on laptop computers or servers or things like that. So if you have physical access to the device, then you can actually pull up data from previous patients that's been on there. Anyone that's ever been in a, in a, a hospital setting knows sometimes you're, you're left in the, patients are left in the room alone with ultrasound machines or things like that while they're waiting on the clinicians to come visit them. And those devices are sitting right there that the patients can touch. Finally, you've got the avail availability so that if these devices are just physically missing or they need patches or things like that, they're not available to help treat patients when they're needed. And then the one people keep forgetting is financial loss. You know, if it's not a good asset inventory system, as Tracy mentioned, there's a financial impact. And organizations who are not really tracking their, what I call the could not locate list or the CNL list, they don't realize how much money they're spending to replenish devices or maybe they're over-purchasing because these devices are setting in closets rather than having a higher utilization rate. So, Tracy and then Clyde, when it comes to emerging security threats involving medical devices, what is the top thing you're worried about right now? And what's your advice to healthcare entities in order to address that evolving threat? I think the biggest thing that would kind of keep me up at night, one, given that we now have a better handle on our inventory, is working with our IT security team and developing a strategy for segmentation of our networks or building into place, um, you know, as Clyde had mentioned, some of the problems around being able to scan and, and doing that in a passive type setting, you know, you can't um, be active. And working with that, it, it, it just worries me. We don't want, obviously, IT security to be scanning and then segment something off of the network that's being used on a patient. So developing those rules of, I guess, play with your teams that you've got in your department about how you're going to approach it when you find something 
and do that in a standard manner that both addresses the risk that's being done but doesn't impact patient care, I think that's my biggest concern. Tacking along with what Tracy had mentioned, one of the things we might look at is where we're going in the future. You know, 10 or 15 years ago, having biomedical equipment connected to a network was basically the exception, not the rule. And now that its devices are becoming more and more specialized and smart, they end up connecting to the network. Even smaller devices previously were standalone. Now we're seeing those starting to connect to the network. The other thing that we're seeing is we're seeing the device manufacturers move away from the very specialized operating systems and start more and more using the uh, commercial off-the-shelf operating systems. So, you know, as you find devices that are being deployed in the last five years, you're finding either Windows or Linux or some of the other variations that are the same operating systems that are being used in other devices like, you know, laptop computers and servers. Part of the challenge with this approach is that deployment of these common or routine operating systems means that they too are susceptible to the viruses and the worms and the ransomware that we are seeing out there being deployed. And finally, federal regulators have been urging medical device makers to address security throughout the design and life cycle of their products. If there was one area of security measures that you would like to see strengthened in medical devices, what would that be? I think probably the first thing that needs to take place is starting with legislation rather than regulation. Currently, the FDA can influence, they can guide, they can provide guidance, but their hands appear to be tied by what is in the FDA rules because FDA rules focus, again, on the patient safety aspect when it comes to biomedical equipment. We need to start incorporating some mandatory requirements for cybersecurity that the FDA can then promulgate out to the device manufacturers because the guidance, honestly, it's making some inroads, but there's over 10,000 manufacturers out there biomedical equipment, and not all of them have had the epiphany to be able to start moving in this direction in a meaningful way. Adding on to what Clyde is saying and kind of from my own take, I think there is a lot of emphasis that should be placed on the voice of the customer, so to speak, in the hospital in their purchasing power and working to set terms with vendors that they can spell out what is and and talk and speak to. You know, as Clyde had mentioned, you've got systems now that are coming out with Windows 7 and there's not a clear upgrade path to how they're going to get to Windows 10 and be able to support their devices when that service and support is no longer available. And then we're going to be in the same place where you've got a lot of risk that's inherent with the device because it can't be patched or can't be supported. And so I think the more the voice of the hospitals and the health systems and, you know, those departments speaking up and saying this is our expectation 
when we're dealing with you, we want to understand that you have a program in place, that you're going to be testing patches on a regular basis on your systems and communicating those, that when you understand that you have threats, that that is communicated across the system. And I, I think it almost is should kind of be a lot like what the FDA does from a recall standpoint, that there are alerts that are um, sent out directly that speak to cybersecurity risk and vulnerabilities. You know, there's some specific examples uh, with what Tracy has said. I recently had the opportunity to review a new purchase agreement for uh, one large hospital system, and they were attempting to purchase a piece of biomedical equipment. And even with the FDA guidance that came out a couple of years ago where it says these organizations or the biomedical device manufacturers have to allow their customers to apply patches uh, in order to keep the security up to date. In the terms and conditions of the actual contract, it said that the device manufacturer, if the customer applied any of these, it would negate the warranty in the maintenance contract. So even though the FDA is saying one thing, that clients, hospitals, providers, uh, you know, are responsible for providing patches, the device manufacturers are undermining that with their terms and conditions. Thanks, Clyde. Thanks, Tracy. I've been speaking to Tracy Hughes and Clyde Hewitt. I'm Marianne Kolbesuk-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.